Since Chris O'Reilly has been doing so much talking over the last few days, this is Brian Campion bringing you the intro for the Uniformed Handball Hour. And we have one of our semi-finalists confirmed, uh, and it's no surprise that that is Denmark. Hello, boys. How are you? How are you, Campo? Oh, not too bad. I think probably we should start maybe on the only really good match of the day today, which was surprisingly in such typical Croatian style. <laughs> you start to play when you're out of the competition. Uh, Croatia beating Iceland. And kind of, I think, probably frustrating a lot of neutral fans because I think everybody at this stage is kind of rooting for Iceland. Is that the feeling you're, you guys are getting? I think so. After that performance against France when the entire arena in Budapest got to their feet to uh, to celebrate their performance and even during the game today when there was the Viking clap going on, the whole arena, including the Croatian fans getting involved in it, uh, they've become kind of adopted fan favourites. Uh, I have a feeling that might change when Aaron Palmerson returns to the squad as he's still not a he's not a fan favourite in Hungary. But uh, yeah, I think that that was the feeling I got for the, the game today. And it was still a great game though. Like the the handball really varied from sublime to the ridiculous, but the flow of the game was super interesting. I think this tournament generally has been I know despite all the problems we've had with people being replaced with COVID and all that kind of stuff but it has been kind of the tournament of the unknown characters and faces springing up out of nowhere or maybe even players who are fringe players in squads then who have to play a bit of a bigger role and I think probably a good example of, of that today was Ori Freire uh, Torkelson who kind of had a very uh, non-tournament <laughs> to this point <laughs> I think only scored two two goals and uh, didn't score in any, any of the other games and today comes up and scores six and some and one really really nice broken wrist shot over Pesic's head which I think you reacted to pretty largely Chris yourself I think you like that one <laughs> yeah, well, what I loved about it most and Ori Thorkelson is that I've only been covering, covering Iceland since the main round and they had Bjarki Marielison who was having an absolute screamer of a tournament and Thorkelson looked really nervous the last couple of games he was a bit of a liability out there on the left wing so much so that in the game against France, when he was on a fast break, he smashed Wesley Pardan in the face. He had an entire goal to shoot for, and he just really freaked out. And <laughs> I made reference to that in the commentary as well, going from smacking a keeper in the face on the fast break to lobbing them with really deft finishes. So it was quite a transformation for him, and it really shows just how important, particularly for wing players, confidence is. And I think Iceland basically ran out of adrenaline and ran out of steam at the end because they had their chances to seal the game. Um, They missed two quite open shots. Um, They were up 22-21, missed those two shots and let a gadget who has been a non-entity in this tournament for Croatia to get through, which was uh, pretty amazing, I think. Iceland were probably happy to let him have that shot, but he, he scored it in the end. But we should probably go back to that 
Franz Eisen game before we moved on, move on, because that was really one of the biggest sensations in the tournament so far. And that was basically Iceland at full adrenaline levels with a depleted squad with a left-handed center player. Chris, you have been a left-handed center player in your past. Do you think uh, that that was one of the key advantages for Iceland? <laughs> Having been a left-handed center player, I rarely see that as an advantage uh, for any team. <laughs> I think, and I, I think in that case, it worked a treat, yeah. And um, in the match, it, like Vigo Christiansen had the game of his life. Unfortunately, against Croatia, he tried to replicate it and went zero from six today, which is another um, big point in how how it differed for them. But yeah, he he had an amazing game, and there were a lot of players. I mean, that's the one thing Iceland have is left-handers. They have four right backs left in the team, and then not much else. And uh, when those guys are keeping out tighter Einarsson, uh, it says a lot. So yeah, that was uh, it was an inspired performance, not just from him. I mean, um, Victor Halgrimsson we have to talk about as well because he was phenomenal, very good again today. Uh, just every single player. I mean, Emir Gislason, their young captain just beast mode in the center of defense. There wasn't anyone who came on in that game and had a bad game. Just everything clicked for Iceland on that day. And uh, it was amazing. And it's just amazing to compare that Iceland's performance then to Iceland's performance today against Croatia, France's performance then to France's performance against Montenegro. It uh, it means that we can't take anything for granted. And that's uh, a really exciting aspect of this. But then what, what happened to France then, Brian? Oh, God, I just, it was one of those, I, it was very early on in the game, I was thinking, oh, I think it's just one of those nights tonight. And it felt like a really special night in terms of, this is a legendary night in, in terms of EHF Euro uh, big matches. And everything seemed to just go right for Iceland and France just looked completely out of sorts. And I, I don't know what that was exactly, but I think... Um, probably Hugo Descar was the only one that seemed to be playing well at all and after that it just seemed to be yeah just not finding the rhythm and just kind of completely not at the races and Nikola Karabatic said after the game that in the dressing room afterwards some of the conversations they were having their, their confidence was absolutely shot to bits and today's game was a reaction to that and I think they really wanted to put that behind them because I think they really didn't expect they probably felt going good, felt good going into the Iceland game, and it's I, it's really hard for me to put a finger on what went what went wrong exactly because it's hard to even see what anything that went right in that game for them, and uh, from a team that's usually very consistent as well in, in France. I mean, you know almost what you're going to get with France, but they just completely weren't at the races. But and not to take that at all away from Iceland because I think that's one of those nights that's going to go down in Icelandic uh, history, and one they won't forget. And why today was also so disappointing when you see Iceland play against Croatia like that and then drop a game like that they really should have won and I think that's uh, that's why I'm, that's why I'm very sad this evening boys <laughs> <laughs> no but I think I think the big difference for France um, was their centre block and Carl Conan coming in really steadied the ship for them because everything stemmed from stems from defence, especially for a team like France, which live on the transition phase 
Um, and when the defense isn't working, then their whole play kind of slows down. I think Carl Conan came in and really steadied the ship. And like we shouldn't uh, underestimate the fact that France lost both of their central defenders and Carl Conan and Fabregas for that Icelandic game. And, you know, Nicola Turnat, an incredible handball player, but just a terrible defender. He was, <laughs> Magnussen was running rings around him, just shooting under, shooting over, going through. Turnat just wasn't, wasn't up to it. And, uh, even today, um, in the game against Montenegro, he was kind of pulled quite early uh, and replaced in that center block. Um, so I think France, it may have been a bit of a freak result. Um, and they still have a bit of momentum going forward. And there's just one more thing that I've noticed. And this came to my attention because of an article that um, Norwegian TV2 do every year, um, which ranks the top 50 handball players in the world. And number one... Stig Nygaard's article. Stig Nygaard makes an article, ranks every player, you know, very difficult list to make, uh, but he had Dika Mem as his number one player. And I noticed that Dika Mem has been a little bit non-existent in this tournament. And I'm going to flip-flop on my opinion again, because just a couple of months ago, I was arguing for Dika Mem to be player, World Handball Player of the Year for 2021. But I'm going to switch that up and say... Where, where the hell has he been? At this, yeah, he showed up he showed today. today. That's he showed up today. But that that was I, I fully agree, and I wondered that during the game against Iceland, where he was uh, just a complete lack of backcourt power, not even like synchronizing, but he couldn't even shoot that team two days ago. And it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to think uh, missing Canton Mahé maybe a little bit as well, stringing it all together. I think he's been maybe an underrated part of this French team at this championship. But yeah, uh, Dikamem was not at the races. I- I'm waiting for Dikamem to prove me prove me wrong again. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait till he scores. He's going to score 12 <laughs> goals against Denmark now, single-handedly drag them into the semi-final, and uh, we'll be chatting again. But that's <laughs> the type of game you want Dikamem to just show yeah. up. And he went one from three. He's also, he scored, I think now he scored 23 goals in the tournament, shooting kind of 50-something, low 50s percentage. That's just bang average. I, I think we should talk about the, the red cards, I think, in the in the France game. Uh, I think there's not really much, a whole lot to discuss really within, in the second half, but I think we should go over <coughs> it at least because I want to hear your opinions. Because I think, Alex, you have very, very strong opinions on on this because you were on the, the tweet machine during the game and uh, you made your, your opinions very clear. You think neither red card, is that correct? I think both uh, under the rule book were red cards. So the rules state that any contact with the face, so for Montenegro, Sevilievich, um made contact with uh, the opposing player's face, but it was done in a, in a kind of, in a blocking motion. So, he was moving to the side and his hands were up in the air and there was no kind of forward motion of the hands, which I would justify as kind of a red card. But if 
he's kind of has his hands in the air and a player comes into him. Okay, that one, I, I still think it's fair enough. They've been very, the refs have been very strict on, um, contact with the face in this championship. And it's probably a good rule to have to protect the players at, at all times. In, I think in some ways you need to bring intent and the situation into these um, circumstances. So there was no attempt. Uh, there was no intent from Sergeyevich to actually hurt the uh, the French player. So for me, it was a soft red card, maybe justified. The other red card for Gerard, I'll let Chris speak about. <laughs> no, I mean it, it was a red card under the rules, and and at the end of the day, you know we we have to accept that because that's what the video replay is for. And it, the Swedish referees they looked at the video, they saw contact, and so by the letter of the law, they make the call, and we can't blame the referees for that. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're being told what to do. I I had a feeling it would be as soon as I saw that touch on the hand. There was. Nothing in it. Intent is another thing there, but goalkeepers also know the risks that go in it. My problem here is with Milos Vujovic, who is an early contender for the Adrian Schipos Award for Excellence in Shithousery, because I've had a good look at Montenegro the now the last couple of days, and Vujovic is he is a shithouser. There's no two ways about it. He's a dirty little so and so when it comes to the way he plays handball. He's a great handball player. He scores the goals. I, he, he gets the job done in the wing. But the way he dove through the air after getting touched on the hand from Gerard, he was like, oh, I got touched. Ah! <laughs> Flying through the air as if a sniper had taken him out from the upper tiers of the Budapest handball arena was disgraceful. And I said it in the commentary. It's like, there's no room for that in this sport. It's abs- It's actually disgraceful. Um, and then, you know, some people who are more cynical might think that he even tried to take out the second goalkeeper, Pardon, on a counterattack. I was waiting for him to step up for a penalty and smash Pardon in the face with it. That's what I, that's, that, I, that was the point I got to. I was like, this is what he's going to do at some point. Uh, he didn't in the end. The hilarious thing about it all is that he does all the post-match interviews and the people he's talking to, he's so kind and so humble. The first thing he does in every interview is congratulate the opponent. <laughs> it's just like, he is the ultimate, it's just an ultimate mindfuck with Milos Vujovic. I, I can't wait to get to know him more on the court. You know, some players, they just know how to get shit done and uh, he's getting shit done. I think the outrage about the red card, I think the biggest thing for everyone just when they saw the replay was the dive and they saw the dive and then they go oh no red card and then that's the biggest problem where people did, were kind of outraged against the red card. if the dive wasn't there let's just say and he still got hit I, I wonder would the opinion be a little bit different then of the red card the actual decision people aren't I don't think disagreeing with I mean it's the letter of the law it's more the way he yeah. behaves and I think that says more about people's attitudes in handball and how they don't want shit like that in the sport which I think we can all get on board with. It's fair enough, fair enough. But there's still a lot to play for in this group, and Iceland, despite their loss to Croatia, are still in pole position. 
um, for that semi-final spot. A win for them against Montenegro would mean that they would finish on six points, which is currently the total France have, but Iceland, of course, have the head-to-head advantage, meaning that France would need to beat Denmark or at least get a point to progress to the semi-finals. And Denmark look pretty unbeatable at the moment. Um, even though Croatia did give them quite a good run for their money. Um, but yeah, Denmark destroyed a Netherlands team that had zero players available, just Danny Bynes shooting as much as possible. Um, so let me, ask you, let me ask you a question here now, both of you. So you are Nikolai Jakobsen and you're preparing for this game against France. Do you want to take France out of the competition, play full strength, so you don't have to face them in the semi-finals, or do you rest up and then see what happens, and then maybe just play a string B, a B team? Uh, you want to win, and for many reasons. Most of all, the Olympic final a few months ago. What ultimate revenge would it be to knock the those so and sos out of the actual competition? Yeah, I, there'd be no messing around. They played with the full strength team for forty five <laughs> minute, minutes against the Netherlands. <laughs> They're not going to mess around with France. I was looking at that. <laughs> Nikolai Jakobsen is in no mood. I was looking at that. I was like, this, they're coasting here, and it's a full team on the pitch. I was like, what is going on here? He's really not messing about here. So, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, can I can I just shout out? I think we've talked enough about this group. Thijs van Leeuwen, the hero from the Netherlands, fifth choice goalkeeper, brought in from work on a Friday morning. And <laughs> he's getting the job done. Yeah, I'm really delighted for him. What a story. Pretty incredible. And uh, I think this tournament has been filled with these uh, heroes. And if you keep listening to us or have listened to us in the past, we have award, an award show, our own award show at, at the end of, of every tournament. And I think a category that is required for this one is going to be the super sub. So... uh We'll be speaking about that and many other awards going forward. Just to give you an idea about, so handball is the sport of the people, and I think that's why everyone loves this this story. Just to give you an idea, he had to get permission from his boss to come here, and his his agreement was that he would continue working while he's here. So he's still doing some some work <laughs> during the day, so he can then go train and and uh, play in the evenings. That was his agreement with his boss. That gives you an idea of uh, one of us. He's one of us, let's just say. He's one of us, yeah. Yes, and uh, up next we have a very special guest in Sebastian Barthold who is having an absolute stormer out on the Norwegian left wing. He is up to 34 goals, joined third on the top scorer list. He's waited a long time to get there. So I met him outside his team hotel for a quick chat in a small park area. So you'll have to forgive me for the background noise. I originally tried to do the interview the evening before, after their game, after their win against Spain, but it was cut short because a fire alarm went off. So this is the final version of the interview. Uh, Here I am with Sebastian Bartold. I was talking to you yesterday in the mix zone and we were interrupted by a fire alarm so yeah. we'll have part one and part two you were mentioning about this is like a boyhood dream for you maybe you could talk us through that a little bit again your journey to where you are now with the national team yeah of course uh, for me uh, I never been like a childhood talent uh, I always wanted to to achieve like uh, playing for the national team playing in the Champions League uh, everything like that but uh, 
uh, started off like a small kid. I just wanted wanted to play. Uh, got to do, play to the to the local club in the, in the top division in Norwegian league. And uh, after uh, some years there, I got the chance to go to Aalborg. Uh, had an amazing, uh, ha- have had and still having an amazing time in Aalborg. Uh, and I've been close to the national team now for 10 years, but it's been uh, it's been difficult because it's uh, it's been an amazing Magnus Jundal, uh ahead of me all the time. So I've been grinding and working hard to to get this uh, this uh, chance. And uh, now that I'm finally here uh, at the age of 30, I think I really. Uh, worked hard for it and uh, I think that's everything now is coming out for me uh, I, I I just want to be my best every match uh, and I think that's uh, kind of what um, yeah kind of what we can see on the f- uh, court uh, I want to I want to give everything for the team uh, to be able to to play all the the fun games and what is it like being filling Yondel's shoes for example because he's quite a different winger to you a different style did you talk to him at all about his role in the team or anything along those lines well, I've been playing with Yondal in the national team as well, so uh, I, I know him uh, quite well. But uh, he, he, as you say, he's a completely different player than me. Uh, uh, we have different styles. Uh, we are good at different uh, things. So um, I, I just want to contribute with what I can bring to the table. And I, I, I believe that uh, uh, I have my strength. Uh, of course, I have my weaknesses. But uh, uh, all in all, I, I feel that uh, this, uh, this tournament has been great for me. Um, I, I just want to, every time I step on the court, be able to contribute with, uh, of course, uh, uh, playing well, but also being uh, f- physical and verbal and and uh, kind of, yeah, get my uh, teammates to perform better. Uh, so sometimes it's not always about how well you play in defense or how many goals you score. Uh, I just want to contribute with uh, getting the fire and spark some, spark some extra, uh, yeah, fighting spirit in the guys uh, and now we're we're uh, 16 guys on each game and uh, furthermore some on the on the, on the sideline as well and we all want to contribute to to uh, elevate our play and i think uh, what we achieved now after sp- especially the russia game has been quite amazing uh, and uh, we come to uh, we're going into the swedish game now with um, with a lot of confidence uh, with a great momentum so we we strongly believe in our quality as uh, individuals and uh, as a team and we're just really happy with uh, the situation we're in now where we can decide uh, our our faith ourselves uh, and we 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 want to go to budapest and play the the really fun games speaking about fire um, it's something you don't really see on TV, but I've seen a lot. I see all the teams before they go onto the court, and something which is really unusual. You guys, you're actually beating lumps out of each other before you go on the court. Could you talk to us through? And some some players, I won't name names now, but some more <laughs> than others. What's going on there? Uh, we have some crazy guys on the team, and uh, we we all have different roles, or we we, had, we take different roles in the team. Uh, it's not always uh, like. Uh, yeah, what you do on the court is uh, everything. So uh, it's important that uh, we we all contribute uh, in the essence that we we want to we want to be at our best every time we step on the court. We want to be ready for the match, both physical uh, physically and mentally. And uh, yeah, we have some guys that uh, are from the from the hoods in Norway that are ready to give it, give it some fight. So uh, they 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 take take some extra. Uh, extra big part in the in the pre pre match there to to uh, fire up the guys so uh, it gets physical sometimes but uh, we, we at least we're ready for the for the first tackle and i think the spanish game yesterday was one you were particularly fired up for i could see that as well backstage it's been a, a name on the european circuit that you haven't really conquered yet and to conquer that yesterday to to 
get over your own problems you had with Spain in the past and then also to end their run must have been doubly sweet I, it's amazing for us uh, it's, uh, it's back in 97 I think 1997 that we last uh, beat Spain and uh, yeah what is it like 25 years ago so it's been a it's been a ghost uh, hanging over uh, <laughs> over the national team for a long time now uh, we have had trouble uh, finding solution to the Spanish uh, defense uh, but I think the main fact, uh, key factor for us yesterday was uh, amazing defense and we had uh, goalies in each uh, half that uh, played tremendously so we're just uh, really happy on how we attacked and executed the match and um, yeah, we're, we're really satisfied with the result of course. And how have you managed to muscle Sander off the penalty spot and start taking all the penalties? Ah, it's a uh, penalties uh, sh- shots is uh, it's a funny thing because uh, it's uh, it's a lot about the mental thing, uh, and when you're in the flow, you're in the zone. It's uh, it it kind of gets easier uh, for each uh, shot you take, uh, and of course it uh, vice versa. If you start missing, uh, it's uh, it's even more it's uh, harder, of course. But uh, it's a mental it's a mental game, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, Sander is also ready to st- take some penalties whenever uh, whenever it's uh, time for that. So I'm just going to keep shooting that those penalties until I miss, and then I I'm sure Sander Sogosen is ready to to pick up where I'm uh, where I left. And of course, you're coming up now against some teammates uh, tomorrow in the Sweden match. I think it was just announced that Felix Klar is COVID, so he probably won't be playing. But you will be coming up against Lucas Sandell. Do you speak to him at all before the game, telling the guys you're going to get it tomorrow, or what's, what's the banter like? Uh, the mind games haven't started just yet, but uh, yeah, it's it's a shame that uh, Felix is out. He's uh, proven himself that he's uh, one of the top yeah three five uh, uh, players in uh, attack uh, in the world at the moment. So there, that's a big uh, big uh, loss for Sweden, of course. Uh, uh, and I was looking forward to play against Felix. I never done that, so uh, uh, I know all his uh, dirty secrets. So uh, I would uh, love to play against him. Uh, but yeah, uh, Lucas, I have some stuff on him as well. So uh, we're we're getting ready for the match, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of interesting uh, duels internally in the game, as well as, uh, of course, the the Norwegian Swedish uh, rivalry that exists in every sport. So. Uh, we are just really, really uh, excited for the match and uh, we hope it's going to be a great match. This is my last question now. Before the tournament, a lot of people were kind of writing Norway a little bit off, saying that they've kind of, teams have figured them out. And even at the start of the preliminary round, people were saying the same things. What has changed from the first few games in the preliminary round to now that looks like a completely different Norway team from your perspective? Uh, we, we, we had a massive hit to our confidence in the match against Denmark prior, prior, prior to... to uh, to, to the tor- tournament, so we, we might might have come into the tournament a bit, uh, yeah, not feeling our uh, our top level at the moment. But uh, we we have we have strong belief in what we can do. Uh, we have done some tremendous trainings, uh, so we know we can. Uh, it was just about getting every piece of the puzzle uh, <clears throat> together so that we can get it all out in in a single match and. Once we started doing that, it, it, it just—it's uh, about a momentum. It's about keeping that flow, uh, and uh, and we we played, uh, I believe, three really really good games now in, uh, after each other now. So we have uh, a lot of confidence and uh, momentum that we we're bringing into the Swedish game, Sweden game now. So uh, yeah, we we believe that we can win, but uh, I think Sweden does so. So it's. Uh, it's whoever gets uh, everything to, to click at the game that, uh, that um, gets the points and goes uh, to Budapest. Best of luck. I hope we see you in Budapest. Thank you. Thank you.
thank you to Sebastian, who has really, again, talking about uh, working class heroes, probably another level to that, going from a fairly average handballer on the fringes of the Norwegian team to a star player on Albor and Norway this year. But what I found most interesting is his one of his last points in that interview where he talked about how the team, the Norwegian team became so disheartened after their friendly game against Denmark before the tournament and was potentially the cause of their, you know, tumultuous start to this tournament. And it kind of brought me back to thinking about these friendly games that happen before a tournament. And usually we do see teams with kind of the top level teams facing each other and kind of coming to blows before a championship, which doesn't seem like a great idea, but it seems like they have their mojo back. They're past their tumultuous start. They have beaten Spain for the first time in 24 years and now set up a huge Scandi derby against Sweden to potentially progress to a semi-final spot. I wasn't expecting them to get back into it. I don't think a lot of people did expect it, but again, can we really nail down what has changed and why they're actually thriving now? I think for me it has to be this. The, as I said it before as well. I think there's secondary players who kind of stood up. I think a player like Toft, while he wasn't maybe as good in that game as he was in the game against uh, Germany, he did still score four. And he does add a kind of... He's kind of maybe adds a bit of a dynamism that kind of reminds me of of the type of players that, we, that, that sprung up when Norway had this whole um, run in 2016. And I think for me, the kind of, as you touched on Alex before, a little bit less pressure maybe on Sagerson to perform. Therefore, a little bit, em- a little bit less emphasis on him on the court in terms of like, not just giving in the ball and see what Sagerson can do. So they seem to have shaken off those cowboys a little bit. And they do, they just seem to have to build up a little bit of momentum. And maybe the loss against Denmark was a good thing in the run up that 10, 10 goal loss. And then maybe a kick up the arse after losing to Russia. Uh, was also maybe uh, yeah. a good thing for them, and they really, they're, they, they're really pumped. They were really pumped up for that game against uh, against Spain, and they looked really incredible. And it's really kind of changed my mind on. If you asked me a few days ago, Sp- Sweden Norway, I originally had that plus five win for Sweden on the match predictor app, and then I changed it just before the Sweden game, just to a one goal win for Sweden. And now I'm thinking about changing it to a plus three goal win for Norway. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm really going all over the map here. It's really, really hard to know what's going to happen because yeah. Sweden looked very good a few games ago. And then against Germany, we're making a wild amount of mistakes. And now if you're going to go on form, you'd have to say that Norway looked the best right now. What I was super impressed by in Norway against Spain, and I compared it to the quarterfinal they played in the World Championship last year, where Spain were straight away so physically dominant and psychologically dominant as well in that game. They just like really shut down Norway and everything they did. Norway did that onto Spain this time. And, you know, Sander Oviod had scored some ridiculous goals. Uh, Eric Toft, I still think, played a really good game, not as much as against Germany. But they used these guys so much that Sanders Augustin could play the first 10 minutes and then he didn't play until the last 20 minutes. Like they really, they're like, 
we trust these guys to to put us in a situation that we can win and then we'll bring Sander on for the last 20 and if he needs to do something amazing then he has the energy to do it instead of you blow your load in the first 15 minutes keep us in the game and then we're going to fall apart I mean it sounds so simple in the end but they finally have a, a group of players to make it happen and yeah when you can bring on Sanders Augustin with 15, 20 minutes left and then bring on Christian O'Sullivan with 10 minutes left to see the game out. It's like, well, you know, all of a sudden it looks like this squad has depth. Yeah, and if you're a new listener to this podcast, please don't listen back to a few episodes ago when we were talking about Norway not making any development and not uh, progressing in any way. Uh, just, like, <laughs> you just ignore all that stuff because uh, we're totally team Norway now before, <laughs> for the next game in Sweden. <laughs> go, go back to the pre-championship interview with Sanders Augustin. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think oh, I'm still yeah. Team Sweden here. I predict them to win the tournament. I don't, you know, I'm not fully confident in that, but I do. I am confident that they can beat Norway. Of course, their the latest news about Felix Clare and Palika will impact um, that game and potentially the tournament. But Sweden have Max Derge back. Um, which is uh, very positive for them and hopefully turns around their defensive woes. But they've, they've already seemed to figure that out a little bit. And what I've noticed about Sweden is that I think they've completely changed from the way they play on purpose. So what I mean by that is they kind of burst onto the scene with this fast counter-attacking style. And then we were talking about how they slowed down in this tournament. But looking back at it, or looking back at the last couple of games, it seems like Sweden are slowing down games on purpose, working on that set attack. Um, They do a lot of play with second line players. I think they're the best team in the tournament at using their wings as a second line player. So, But that, that kind of extends the attacks and really drags teams down. And that may be a tactic that they developed to beat faster teams like Denmark and France to really slow them down and are playing the long game. But it seems like they're doing it on purpose. And I think they, they mm. can do this to Norway as well. I'd, I'd noticed that in the, the Germany game. they it, That reminded me, the Germany-Sweden game reminded me a lot of the Denmark-Croatia game. And Denmark in that situation knew they needed to dictate the pace in the way they're not, they don't usually do. And Sweden knew they needed to dictate the pace that way as well. And if you think about Hampus Vanna and Niklas Ekberg being your first two wingers in a perfect situation, then using them as second line players is perfect. Because how many times can you imagine them in the Bundesliga or the Champions League coming in as second wing players and getting goals? It's it's an awful lot. Uh, so yeah, that's a that's a good call there. And uh, yeah, hard to hard to know how they'll react without Palika. They have a lot of goalkeepers. They need one of them to to step up on the day. I don't know if there's anything else in this group to, to go into, except that Kosorotov is a beast. <laughs> even if he takes even if he takes four and a half Look, steps. If you're gonna score I honestly think if you're gonna score from that far out, you should be able to take four or five steps. Like if you're gonna shoot from there. <laughs> it's that's fair, like, you know. If you're gonna really launch from yeah. that far out, take five steps. Look, go for it. Like, yeah. like look how far you're shooting out. You're, how far away you're shooting from. It's fair, you know. Yeah, every every three meters away from the nine meter area you get another step. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually that's a pretty good rule. I like that. That would be <laughs> just need another line. 
So shall we make some wild predictions here? I have a feeling our predictions are going to be different I, I, for who's going to the semi-final from the two groups. There's predictions and then there's permutations. And I think in this yeah. group too, oh, sorry. Yeah. there are some interesting permutations. And I will leave that there to is. Chris O'Reilly, our expert mathematician. I've, I've, just, I've only got one question to ask. If Spain lose to Poland... Are Norway and Sweden going to play out an 18-18 draw or a 40-40 draw and both teams go through? Okay, so they're the two scorelines that are needed to... No, 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 no. I mean, either a really low-scoring game or a really high-scoring game. Any kind of draw will do. Uh, If Spain lose to Poland, then we're in a really unique situation where that will be the case. Or... If Spain draw and then Norway and Sweden draw, then it's Norway and Spain who go through and Sweden uh, will be left out. But Spain are not going to lose to Poland, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think so, wouldn't you? But, I mean, they, they play well against Russia. Uh, you never know like, at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's all up in the air. And Spain really struggled with the attack uh, against Norway. So... If Spain don't get the job done, then they're in serious danger. Um, They seem pretty safe, but imagine that, losing in the opening game and then seeing Spain and Norway draw. No, Sweden and Norway draw, sorry. And also, if if Spain do lose, if Spain do lose to Poland, which, again, I I just... (laughs) Something tells me this Polish team is going to be really angry going into this game. Just something happened in that last game that might set them off and make them want to prove a point. And if Poland do win that game and Sweden beat yeah. Norway, it is still Sweden and Norway to go through because Norway and uh, Spain will be level on points. So, I don't know, Spain looking uh, looking a bit shaky. I, I think it's it's a bad... Stylistically, it's a bad matchup for Poland, though. I just think... I, think, uh, I can't... I somehow, it's one thing Poland and Russia kind of uh, old school type of handball coming against each other, but I feel like the speed of, of Spain could be a big problem for, for Poland over 60 minutes. I think it would be close for 40 and then, I don't know, I find it hard to um, somehow it's either going to be a draw or Spain will win by eight or something like that. No, I don't yeah. see anything in the middle really. <laughs> we'll have to wrap this up or the podcast won't get out in time for the start of that game tomorrow. So quickly then, without any explanations why, which three teams will join Denmark in the semi-finals? Alex? Sweden, Norway, France. Brian? I'm going to go Iceland. Why not? Denmark, Iceland, Norway and Spain. I fully agree with you, Brian. (laughs) We'll find out very shortly. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you after the main round and before the semifinals. Mm -hmm.